I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. Imagine this scenario. You open up your work calendar and you see open space. You hardly ever have white space on your calendar these days, and you've got back-to-back meetings, and that's just the culture in your organization. But a couple of meetings have been canceled or moved to other dates, and there you are, salivating at the white space on your calendar, dreaming and scheming about what you're going to do with that time and how you're going to benefit from it. You can get ahead on that project that's been stressing you out. You can get the expense report that you've been putting off done so that you can finally get reimbursed. You can get the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. So many choices. And yet, some of us will get far less done in that discretionary time than we'd imagined. I'm about to propose a solution to the problem of wasting, quote unquote, wasting discretionary time. And the answer, my friends, is discipline, fierce discipline. Now, this ties in with one of my topmost values, freedom. Okay, stay with me here. At first blush, the two may seem antithetical to one another, but they do connect. In fact, they connect like a hand in a glove. So let's explore my desire for freedom a bit. It's no surprise that I own my own business, manage my own schedule, and prefer to come and go as I please ideally with no one watching. (laughs) Don't even get me started on my husband's penchant for video surveillance. Seriously, talk about an impingement on my freedom, albeit a perceived impingement. I'm pretty sure he's not looking at my comings and goings on the footage, but still. All right, we might be able to dig into my past and discover why I love freedom so much. Maybe it was growing up on a lake where there are lots of summer cabins and very few year-round houses like the one I lived in where my brothers and I had free roam of the neighborhood, needing to be home only when the dinner bell rang or when the yard lights came on at night. (laughs) And I'm not making this up. It may sound like I grew up inside of a Norman Rockwell painting, but that was indeed my childhood. (laughs) And if you're confused about what yard lights are, well, they're the country version of streetlights. So yeah, there was a lot of freedom in my childhood. And maybe that's why freedom's so important to me. At any rate, I love my freedom. I yearn for freedom when I don't have it. And left to my own devices, I am likely to squander my discretionary time at work if I don't manage myself tightly, which I do about 50% of the time. And I'm not alone in this. According to a recent survey of U.S. workers by Zippa.com, a career website, 89% of employees admit to wasting time every day at work and a full 31% waste at least one hour each day. So how do we conquer the urge to waste time and instead charge up our discipline so that we can get the job done? And then we can reap the benefits and rewards of having it done. That's exactly what we're going to explore on this episode. 
Okay, so most of us in white-collar jobs, professional positions, or part of the information economy, as opposed to working on an assembly line or in a role where there is little to no decision-making about how you spend your time, well, we have discretionary time, and we have decision-making capacity over how we use that discretionary time. Do I work on the ACME project right now because that project is fun and I really get to use the skills that I like to use most? Or do I buckle down on tasks that are most important to my manager right now, even though those tasks feel like drudgery? Or do I chat with one of my colleagues about what they're doing? Because, you know, networking. (laughs) We've all got those moments where we get to decide. It's up to us. And if you're like me, sometimes that discretionary time can get away from you and you end up with much less accomplished than you had hoped or planned. So today, I want to introduce you to my dear friend, Discipline. Now, discipline is a topic that often brings to mind punishment, and I am not talking about punishment here. Quite the opposite. I'm talking about liberation, my friends, true unbridled freedom. So let's dive into discipline a little bit more deeply to really understand it. Now, let's borrow from the field of education for a moment. In education, there are three types of discipline, corrective discipline, preventive discipline, and supportive discipline. Now, you're probably most familiar with corrective discipline. You weren't following the rules and you got called out on it. Maybe a trip to the principal's office or your parents got called. That's corrective discipline. You did something wrong and you're being punished for it. Next, there's supportive discipline. This is where a teacher praises good behavior and gently redirects the less positive behavior, all with the goal of getting the students to stay on track and finish the lesson or be well-behaved for the guest speaker, or whatever it is that they're up to. So that is supportive discipline. And finally, there is preventive discipline, which is all about taking preemptive measures to circumvent the misbehavior by keeping students engaged. Now, if you were the class clown and you were invited to the front of the room to do a math problem on the board, or maybe like me, I wasn't the class clown, but I always talking to my neighbor, especially if it was one of my good friends who was seated near me, got invited to the front of the room to do math problems on the board more often than I might like. Well, then if you're like that, you know what I'm talking about. So this last one, preventive discipline, is the one I'm invoking here today. So the primary tenant of preventive discipline is planning. When you have a solid plan and you stick to it, which is key for most of us, you can become wildly productive. And those moments when you're wildly productive will absolutely set you free. I told you it would come back around to freedom. Now, I fully recognize that some of you might not value freedom in the same way that I do. But let me ask you this. If you're part of the working population who's able to work remotely, there's about a 70% chance that you want to stay working remotely, at least part of the time. That's what the research tells us. And that, my friends, working remotely, even part of the time, is freedom. So even if you don't dig freedom as much as I do, it probably shows up in lots of areas of your life. So let's look at how you can use preventive discipline to set you free. And for those of you who are still easily distracted and occasionally get caught between a rock and a hard place for missing deadlines and the like, well, this strategy may keep you out of corrective discipline a little bit more often, you know, the punishment kind of discipline. So here's how it works. There are three parts, and we'll cover each in turn. Part one, the plan. Part two, taking action on the plan. 
And part three, the reward. First, the plan. Simply put, if you don't have a plan, you don't have much of a chance of accomplishing the thing that you want to get done or achieve. You don't get a big project done by chance. You don't get a promotion by chance. When I keynote speak at an event or a conference, it isn't by chance. The meeting planner researched me, interviewed me, talked to others who have seen me speak, and then hired me. It wasn't by chance that I was there. I was part of a much bigger plan. And by the way, the next time you're at an event or a conference, seek out the meeting planner and thank them. There are so many elements that go into making an event come together. It is mind-boggling, and they do amazing work. Okay, so you have to have a plan. One of my favorite ways to make a plan is to reverse engineer the plan using post-it notes. Start from the end. What is the very last thing that has to happen in order for this to come together? Write it down in a post-it note. Then on the next post-it note, what happens right before that? And on the next post-it note, what happened before that and before that and before that? Write them all down, each on their own post-it note. Stick them up on the wall in order, working from left to right until you get all the way to the very first step that you need to take right now to start the chain of events that will get you to that desired outcome. I followed this process a lot. One of the most notable was a few years ago when I was writing the book head on how to approach difficult conversations directly. I wrote out all the steps starting from the very last one. What was the last step you might be wondering? A box of advanced copies from the publisher being delivered to my front door and me excitedly opening the package while filming it all on social media. (laughs) That actually happened. But before that, There were 317 other post-it notes that I had to complete first. Chunking it down to that level is the preventive discipline that made the rest of it all happen. And that leads us directly to step two, being in action. If I made that list of all 317 tasks that stood between me and the advanced copies arriving at my front door, but took no action on them, the book would still be an idea rather than a real thing that I can hold in my hands. So this is easiest done when there is a routine in place. It's much easier to take action if you're already planning to take action and it's in your schedule. Let's say you want to write a book or maybe it's a big project at work that could easily get away from you because everyone else's priorities, which are different from yours, are always getting in the way. Well, you need to carve out time to work on the book or that big project and then fiercely protect that time. And of course, you need to use that time to actually take action on the book or project or initiative. Now, I'll refer here to some very early episodes of the Working Conversations podcast where I talked about focus and productivity. Episode four, 10 work from home hacks for staying focused. And for those of you who aren't working from home, they all work in the office on premises too. And episode two, find an extra hour in your day every day. So those two episodes will help you get on task and stay on task and find some extra time to be on task. But one of the specific hacks that I recommend in episode four is the Pomodoro technique. Its name comes from the Italian word for tomato, Pomodoro. The inventor of this technique set a tomato-shaped timer, hence Pomodoro, for 25 minutes. And he focused on one thing and one thing only until that time was up. 
It's a super helpful technique, and it often leads to even more than 25 minutes being spent on the project when time allows. But even if it's only 25 minutes, it's actually 25 minutes of progress on the initiative or the project at hand. So these techniques can help you stay in action. It needs to be on your calendar. It needs to be scheduled. You need to be carving out time to be in action. That is part of preventive discipline. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Now, step three is an absolute must in order to keep going at this, because most of the time, the thing that needs discipline is not a one-off task. It's something that you need to do repeatedly or in many consecutive steps in order to get to the end where the real payoff comes. So you need to reward yourself. That's what keeps your brain motivated to want to work at it again and again. Now, in some cases, Getting to the completion is reward enough. Copies of the book arriving at my door. Or if you were training for a marathon or a 5K, coming across the finish line is your reward. Losing 25 pounds, your fit body is your reward. But maybe, as in the case of the marathon or losing 25 pounds, that goal, that reward, feels too far away to be compelling as a reward when you just run the first few miles or lose the first five pounds. In those cases, you'll want to set up intermediary rewards along the way. Every time you can run an extra five miles consecutively or every five pounds you lose, there's a reward waiting for you. These rewards help reinforce those first two steps, the planning and the action taking. And these periodic rewards will get you across the finish line, so to speak. So how does having a plan, taking action on it, and a sense of reward, those three parts of preventive discipline that I just described, how does that lead to freedom? Well, let's take this podcast, for example. When I have a plan for what the podcast is going to be about generally, and my main points are identified specifically how much time it's going to take to research and pull together my data sources that are going to support what I'm talking about. When I have a plan for all of that and time on my schedule for exactly when I'm going to carry out that part of the plan, the research, the outline, and so forth, and then actually getting into the studio to record the podcast, well, then I have the freedom of knowing that it's going to happen. I'm not carrying around the worry and concern of, when am I going to find time to do this? Instead, It's planned, it's scheduled, and it's acted upon. Now, the reward that I feel, and I don't feel this until it's done, is that it's done. It's complete. Now, most of the time, completing the process of recording a podcast in and of itself is the reward. But in full disclosure, 
There are times when I have another project or something shiny that is vying for my attention. And in those cases, the reward after the podcast is working on that other project or doing that shiny thing that was distracting. Now, rarely do I need an actual extrinsic reward for completing a podcast episode, but it could happen. And I'm ready for this. Going for a walk, reading, or pretty much any other leisure activity that doesn't require cash or calories. Those are my rewards. So those three steps of preventive discipline leads to peace of mind. And that, my friends, is part of the freedom. Now, the other part of the freedom is once I get that podcast recorded, I have free time. If I set my discipline in order and I got the whole thing done, then I've got that discretionary time that I can use for whatever I want, and that is freedom. It's not creative procrastination or whatever I might have been doing instead of planning for doing the work and then recording the podcast. So the freedom in my schedule, that quote-unquote wasted time, comes after the thing is completed, and then it doesn't feel nearly as stressful or like I'm wasting time. It feels like that discretionary time is now a reward for me. Now, you can apply this to any area of your life, certainly in your work, like we've been talking about here, but it also applies to health, fitness, parenting, relationships, and on and on. And let me give you a few examples. Let me give you, start with a personal relationship example. My BFF, Heidi, and I used to talk only occasionally. Now, to be fair, she lived in Southeast Asia for a really long time, but she's been back in the States for well over a year now. And... When I think about our relationship, one of the things that we implemented just a few months back is a weekly call. Now, it's a commitment. It's preventive discipline for our friendship. And here's the payoff, the freedom. I feel more connected to her. I know what's going on in her life. And recently, when she was in town staying at my house for a visit, we did not need to stay up until three in the morning catching up. In fact, my youngest son was surprised that that didn't happen. He's 12 and her stay was nearly over and he remarked to me, hey, you and Heidi haven't stayed up until three in the morning drinking wine yet. What night is that going to be? And I laughed and I realized that our new routine of connecting every week made that whole activity irrelevant. So during her stay, we both woke up more or less refreshed and ready to take on the day during the visit. The reward, in this case, it's easy. It's a closer relationship with my BFF. All right, let's look to a parenting example. My family eats dinner together every night unless there is a sports or school activity that interferes. Now, this is not optional in our house. I've read the research and I know that this preventive discipline of eating together as a family leads to freedom for me as a parent and for our whole family. The freedom is less risky behavior on the kid's part. Research shows that family dinners are linked to lower drug use, lower eating disorders, and fewer disciplinary issues at school, and an increased chance of graduating from high school. So the discipline of eating together pays off in fewer problems, which for me is the reward, and that is freedom. Because then I don't have to deal with those issues as a parent, and my kids don't have to deal with those issues as kids or young adults. So win-win. All right, let's look at a health example. I'm experimenting with a few biohacking techniques, and one of the things that I'm doing is wearing a continuous glucose monitor. 
I'm able to see in real time the way that my body converts what I eat into the glucose that powers my cells. Now, if you're not familiar with that level of detail on how your body works, here's the short version. You eat various macronutrients, protein, fats, and carbs, and then your body turns those nutrients into energy that can get into your cells to power your body. Turns out that the order in which you consume those macronutrients matters significantly. Now, of course, every body is different, but generally, when protein and fats are consumed first in a meal, or even before the meal altogether, like 30 minutes earlier, the body is much better able to take in carbs, which convert quickly to energy and can spike your blood sugar, which is super bad for your body and leads to a whole host of health risks and problems. But that's a whole other podcast, so I'm going to let that go for now. But your body will be less likely to have a glucose spike if some protein and fat are consumed first, which is great news for people who like carbs. So eating some protein and fat first, that's the discipline, can lead to the freedom of enjoying that fresh bread at the meal. (laughs) Just don't start with the bread. Have some asparagus sautéed in sesame oil as your appetizer, and then end with the bread or the rice or the pasta after your protein-packed main course. The reward in this case is not actually the bread. For me, the reward is the data. Seeing a relatively flat line or a slight increase in my blood glucose with a slow decline, the marker of a healthy digestion and a healthy insulin response, that, my friends, is my reward. Now, I could go on and on with examples of how making a plan, acting on that plan, And rewarding yourself is going to yield the results that you want in your life. And if you're anything like me, getting those results that you set out to get feels like tremendous freedom. So give it a try in an area of your work or life where you haven't been getting the results that you want and see what turns up. Be sure to drop me a line on social media or on email with your successes. If you enjoy this content and you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and knock that little bell so that you get notified every time there's a new episode out. I'm also starting to make some other videos there too, so even if you listen on a podcast player, you're going to want to head over to YouTube and subscribe at youtube.com forward slash Janelle Anderson PhD so that you don't miss a thing. Wherever you're listening or watching, please leave me a review. It helps other listeners find me and it just plain all makes me feel good. Until next time, my friends. Be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.